This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week, but one topic. The topic is covering Formula One, covering F1. My guests are Luke Smith, a senior writer for The Athletic, and Madeline Coleman, a staff writer for The Athletic. I work there as well. The Athletic has started a new vertical on F1 and has invested significant resources and dollars, including both Luke and Madeline, as well as some other writers and editors. And it's a pretty exciting time if you like Formula One, because now there's another big place that's covering it. And we get into a lot of the media issues of the sport in terms of what access is like, how one covers Formula One. Uh, certainly, we talked about Drive to Survive and its impact on the popularity of the sport and how much is it Drive to Survive, how much is it ESPN, how much is it uh, Liberty Media and what they've done, how much is it social media and TikTok and and sort of how the sport is blown up on there. Talked about the importance of an American uh, being competitive in F1 and what that would mean for the next growth in this country. And then a little bit on the sport in terms of uh, Max Verstappen and, and can anybody, uh, can any of the other teams catch Red Bull. Um, so, but this is a very media-centric podcast, and I think you'll find it interesting because uh, both Madeline and Luke are really covering an interesting sport. Before we get to that, just one quick note. Uh, we did have some audio issues on our last couple of podcasts, uh, so many, many apologies for that. Sometimes it happens, you know, like tracks don't line up or... You know, this this is the world of technology that we live in. So uh, thank you to Patrick Antonetti for uh, working hard to try to fix that. We did pull it down for a couple hours and uh, knock on wood, I think that's fixed. But, uh, you know, this is you know, generally an independent podcast. We try really hard to make sure that the audio is good. So, uh, so when it's not, uh, you know, apologies on our end because I absolutely do not take your uh, time for granted. There's a billion podcasts out there, and if you're listening to this one, much appreciated. So Luke Smith and Madeline Coleman of The Athletic coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, I'm excited to have these two guests. F1 has soared in popularity over the last couple of years, especially in North America. We see that uh, the U.S. now has three F1 races. I mean, it's a really exciting time. We will get into, obviously, the Drive to Survive impact here. But The Athletic, where I think everybody knows I work, has started a new coverage vertical on F1. So they're investing significant money 
and significant resources. And part of that are my two guests. Luke Smith is a senior writer covering F1 for The Athletic. He previously was at NBC Sports and Autosport covering that sport. Madeline Coleman is a staff writer covering F1 for The Athletic. She comes over from Sports Illustrated where she covered motorsports as well as a number of other sports and breaking news. And I am pleased to be joined by Luke Smith and Madeline Coleman. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you, Richard. Great to be on. Thank you for having us. Now, you got it. All right. So, Luke, uh, just so my listeners know, where are you right now? Because it seems like you are you are not anywhere close to Toronto. Madeline, you're in either the Carolinas or New York, maybe? North Carolina. Okay. All right. So, Luke, I guarantee you're furthest away. Where are you right now? Yeah, I am uh, currently in uh, Manama, the capital of Bahrain. So we've got the opening F1 race of the season here this weekend. We had testing last week, so I've been here about five or six days already, and I'm going to be here another five or six days. Uh, yeah, I'm currently, it's currently half past eight, quarter to nine in the evening. Uh, I'm out in yeah downtown Manama. It's uh, starting to see a few F1 sort of signs and stuff going up. Uh, but yeah, I'm very far away from either Toronto or, or North Carolina. <laughs> All right, very exciting. Whatever it is, 280 episodes, and finally, we are talking to someone from Bahrain. What a, what a moment it is for this podcast, Luke. It's very exciting. Madeline, no offense, I've talked to many people from the Carolinas. Uh, so here, l- let's start here, and um, and I'm going to start with you, Luke, and then Madeline, you can certainly follow up on anything um, I ask Luke and vice versa. I think what would be interesting for my listeners is to just take us through, like, a game plan as to how one covers F1, given the sheer amount of teams, given the sheer amount of people in the sport. Um, it seems like a very, very daunting thing to do. Now, I know you guys have a staff, and I've certainly talked to NASCAR people, and I guess there's similarities. But when you were approaching this, Luke, just in terms of story conception and access and how you want to cover it, how does one go about covering Formula One? I think it is a very different sport an animal to anything else out there i think that with so many team sports like your your football or soccer or baseball there's there, there's so many sort of intricate stories you've got hundreds maybe thousands of players each of them have a story but with formula one it's it's quite different there's only 20 drivers in the whole world who at any one time can say they are a formula one driver so that kind of shows the significance of it we've got 10 teams and obviously various uh team bosses and figures within F1 with these uh, big personalities, big egos. And it makes for a sport that I think really just has these really rich stories that I think maybe in the past weren't being told or sort of put out to the public in such an obvious way. And then we had, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, Drive to Survive on Netflix. And that kind of changed the game a lot for Formula One, particularly in the United States. And I think that for me, I've been covering F1 for a decade and to see just how the kind of narrative around the sport has changed in that time has been really, really amazing. And like I, I come from more of a sort of news background, I guess, with Formula One. I've been very much on the news beat for the past uh, sort of six years, especially. And uh, to basically now look at it more about this, what the athletic has been built on, its rich storytelling, its ability to sort of deep dive, a deep dive into these really amazing stories. 
and to be able to take that to a sport that I have, yeah, been growing up in basically and living in for the for the past ten years, it's uh, it's really exciting. And I think that it's been amazing to see the reaction from all the the teams and drivers as well. They're all really excited that the athletic is moving into this space. So uh, yeah, so it is. Of course, it's daunting. Of course, you always have. Um, I guess with any new project, there's always that kind of uh, freshness. But that is really really exciting as well. I think that F1 media has been really like calling out for something like this for a very long time so the opportunity to be part of it is a, a really huge honor and yeah very very exciting now let me f- let me follow up with you you know if you were covering the carolina panthers or you're covering the buffalo bills it- it's sort of very contained in terms of like what you have to cover there's still 53 people on a roster there's obviously you know infinite amount of story ideas that you can do but at the end of the day it's still confined to a singular organization F1 is very, very different when it, in terms of there's multiple organizations. So how will you or how are you approaching this given um, there's just so many different ways one can cover this sport? I think it's better understanding the dynamics that are at play, but then also what are the fans wanting? The North American audience, is, the U.S. audience in particular, is very different than the European audience, especially between the two different sides of before Drive to Survive and then post Drive to Survive. But then also you've got the content creators and the boom of TikTok and Twitch to also consider as well. And what kind of stories are they looking at? And a lot of times you're seeing the audience kind of gravitate more towards what is the entire ecosystem of F1 look like? all the different partners and the politics that are going uh, going around at the time, whether it be within F1 itself or within the countries and the governments and talking about sports washing or fan abuse and human rights and diversity and equity. Um, it's kind of trying to take in all the different factors. It's very different than, as you mentioned, the Panthers, but then also the access is a little bit different too. It was a lot more open covering the Panthers and being there versus navigating different time zones and different cultures to be able to kind of connect with these drivers. But I think with taking the approach that the athletic is taking of trying to demystify the sport so that old fans, new fans can understand it better with the exclusive element that comes with F1 while also doing the deep dive storytelling of the personalities and the cultures within these teams. There's a world of opportunities and kind of the cliche about the saying of the world is your oyster type feel. Luke, I want to ask you about access. Um, and Madeline, you, you should follow up with Luke, but Luke is there obviously um, at a, at a track right now. Um, I, my, I, I've never covered a F1 race. I have covered six NASCAR races. So I, like I, I have a length, a very, very small like idea about media access when it comes to, to NASCAR. And, and I found it to be, um, if you had like a garage pass, not bad. Uh, you have to do a lot of pre-setting up with teams to um, set up interviews with crew chiefs and stuff. The drivers, in terms of the stars of the sport, were almost impossible to get. You, maybe a smaller level driver you could. So I wonder, if, again, for my listeners, if you can give them a sense of, as someone who's covering this for a you know fairly prominent publication, what kind of access do you get to the sport? Yeah, it's... The access, I mean, on a race weekend, teams will have allocated media sessions, basically, that are open to anyone who, who's got a press pass and is attending as a as a reporter. And that's a, basically a guaranteed chance that I know that if I need to ask Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen a question on any F1 weekend, 
then I know I will get that chance to do so, even if it's not in a one-on-one setting. So that is something that's actually written into F1's rulebook, like to make sure that there is that media sort of access and opportunity. So that is that is really, really good. But I think that when you want to like really get into these deeper stories, like like Madeline was saying, I think that for then, yeah, you do want to be talking maybe one-on-one with the driver or you want to be getting into the garage so you can see what exactly is going on and how everyone is interacting and everything like that. And I think a lot of that is down to, yeah, talking with these teams and saying, look, we understand that F1 is such a, a secretive sport in many ways. And I, again, mentioning Drive to Survive, the first series of Drive to Survive, Ferrari and Mercedes refused to take part because they were worried it would give away their secrets by letting these cameras into their garages, even though there were promises that they wouldn't actually like show any of the uh, technical details or anything that might perhaps give their competitors an advantage. And over time, that's kind of shifted, which is great. And I think that what is really cool about what we're doing with The Athletic is that all of the teams have been so, so receptive and so on board and so excited about what we're doing that we've got an opportunity to maybe tell stories in a slightly different way to what they're used to. And kind of open up, um, yeah, shedding new light on teams and how F1 operates, which is great. So, yeah, the access in F1, like, it's it's always, a, it's always a, a, it can be a battle at times. And uh, with, when Madeline and I have been talking at points, I've said, oh, like, such and such team or person can be, can blow quite hot and cold. They can, at one point, be, oh, really, like, um, forthcoming with access and other points, maybe not so much. But um, for the most part, yeah, everyone's really excited about what we're doing. And um, I think it's... Uh, a really exciting opportunity. Madeline, how have you found access so far from your perspective? Everyone is very excited. Um, I got a lot of positive feedback once the launch went live last week, and a lot of teams were excited. I think part of getting the access is also the relationship building because I come from a NASCAR background as well. And so I was used to, you know, the setting up beforehand before going to the track. And a lot of the times I was covering remotely and all of last season for Formula One, I was covering remotely besides them going to the States. And so it was building those relationships over time. So then the teams knew me, even though I wasn't right in front of their faces and being present for the media availabilities that are available to the media that are at the track. For those of us covering virtually, it was a lot of emails, phone calls and making sure to kind of stay at the forefront and stay in their their minds of when opportunities came up, but then also being honest about the approaches of that we don't want to spin some kind of narrative. It's that we want to tell, you know, the real true stories behind each of these teams. And so I'm excited for this next season. If the positive reaction to both of us starting at The Athletic and Alex and this entire team, that if that's any indication of what's to come over the next few months, I'm not really concerned about what the access will look like. It seems like they are ready to get their stories out there and told in a specific way and doing these deep dives. Matt, I'm going to stick with you on this. And then Luke, if you can follow up one of the, um, one of the stories that sort of occurred in my world is ESPN's rising viewership when it comes to this property, um, significantly up over the last couple of years. And so one of those sort of really fun, interesting stories to do is how much of this is because of Drive to Survive and a lot of casual fans seeing what they're seeing on Netflix and then checking out ESPN's coverage versus ESPN's um, increased uh, interest in Formula One and really giving people access. Now, if you're an ESPN executive, you're going to be like, oh, well, Drive to Survive is fantastic, but don't forget about us because we've put all these resources in. Myself, as 
you know, someone who, when it's snowing outside, says it's snowing. I, I think the Netflix series is far and away the driver of this. It's such a compelling watch for a streaming service, you know, in 200 million homes globally, that that's been sort of the secret sauce. And ESPN, which has certainly done a great job picking up Sky, et cetera, has benefited from that. Where do you see it? You know, you are, you're in your 20s, so you're really kind of an interesting test case to me in terms of there's probably old school F1 fans who have been watching this thing forever. Um, you're part of whatever the new generation is, and many of your uh, peers probably first discovered Formula One via Netflix. So how do, you, how do you see it? Because it's kind of, in my opinion, pretty interesting media story in terms of where the crediting for all this should go. I think it's fascinating, to be honest. You know, I got my introduction to F1 through a coworker and through looking on social media and then going and checking out the Netflix series. Um, I think it ended up being a perfect storm of sorts for Drive to Survive because it did have a few seasons before the pandemic started. But then when the pandemic happened, everything was shut down. There was no sports. Here comes the new season since the new season typically launches at the end of February, beginning of March, which is around the same time when the pandemic happened, the pandemic started. Um, between that, the TikTok boom, which being on the rise and content creator economy also expanding at the same time. I think all of those together created the rapid increase of interest in F1 and it's continued to grow year over year and more people are going from consuming this content to going and finding an app, other avenues, whether it's going and watching a race on ESPN, going and looking at Sky Sports if you're elsewhere in the world, or going on TikTok or Twitter or Instagram and consuming all these different variations of content because each platform offers something different. You've got the docuseries gives behind the scenes look. You've got the content creators that are either talking about topics and breaking it down to a beginner's guide type of thing. Or you've got podcasts similar to this where it's talking about all the topics that come up. So I truly think it was a perfect storm of all of these factors at the same time. Yeah, that's a really well thought out answer. Luke, uh, I want you to uh, offer as well. The one thing I will say, and I probably should have said when I asked Madeline this, like you also have to give obviously Liberty Liberty Media a ton of credit. They bought F1 in 2017 and they obviously changed the game in terms of how the sport is presented consumption-wise media wise but how do you see it uh, i thought madeline actually really gave a pretty um kind of a perfect answer and the fact that like it's the it really f1 is a benefit of a lot of things that happen including obviously a once in a you know lifetime global pandemic yeah completely i fully agree i think that i think the the liberty effect is really important as well and that they started running this sport to think about how to grow the sport and how to look at it in 10 years time 15 years time how is it going to be so much bigger than it is right now whereas the previous owners all they cared about was profits they didn't care what that meant for the detriment of certain aspects of the sport they just wanted to make money and i think it really lost its way f1 and um, when liberty came along it changed things and i think that approach so you look at the the tv rights that went to espn at the start of the 2018 season now that for me i i lost my job with nbc because of that shift so at the time i was like oh this 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 sucks like i obviously wanted to keep working with nbc and, and for that to go on and it emerged that Liberty had essentially agreed a very, very reduced deal in terms of the um, broadcast fee. 
so that they could also carry their own F1 TV service in the United States. They basically said, look, let's not think about the financials as being number one. Let's think about reach. Let's try and get to as many people as possible through both ESPN's coverage and our own in-house streaming service. So that was a factor. It was also the fact that ESPN started showing races um, all the way through, like with no, no ad breaks, which I know from my time at NBC was a, a real uh, annoying point for a number of fans. And um, that, that kind of thinking as well with Drive to Survive, I wrote this in a feature I did on the series for, for The Athletic on, around our launch. They, um, they actually, my understanding is they got a, a bigger, more lucrative offer from Amazon to actually carry that series and do a documentary on Formula One. But Liberty went, well, hang on, Amazon, if you've got access to their streaming service, you might not use it. You might only have it through Amazon Prime, so you get your next day shipping and delivery. Whereas Netflix, you know that people have Netflix and use Netflix purely to watch series like Drive to Survive. So I think it's that kind of approach that really helped tied in with yeah everything that followed. And I think the rise of creators and everything has been really, really huge. And the access points to F1 have just grown so, so much compared to where it was pre-Liberty six or seven years ago. It's a completely different media landscape and world that we're operating in right now. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I want to stick with you, uh, Luke. This actually uh, literally came uh, about 15 minutes before we started taping. And it gets to my question that I wanted to ask both you and Madeline about the, the impact and the importance of the United States market. So ESPN sends its schedule for its 2023 Formula One season coverage. Um, 18 races are on ABC or ESPN. That's the most ever. Um, they obviously have um, the emergence of a third race now in the United States, which is obviously very, very significant. For the first time ever, the Monaco Grand Prix will air live on ABC. And in just in terms of viewership, there really is still a significant difference between if you're running on ESPN or if you're running on ABC in terms of the number of um, in terms of the number of viewers you can get on. And like I said, again, that just like the um, there 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 are three event or three ten poles in the United States for this sport, which is really, really significant when it comes to the American audience. So that's all a preamble to ask you. Um, how important is the U.S. market to F1? And then for your own purposes, do you see significant growth there? Because if that exists, then you and Madeline, in theory, like should have jobs for quite some time if the growth in the United States continues. That's exactly it. I think that Formula One has for so long wanted to crack America for decades. It tried and tried and tried. We had the race at Indianapolis in the early 2000s. That fell away. We then went to Austin in 2012, and that was seen as the sort of revival of the US Grand Prix. A few years later, that race was in serious trouble as well. There was one year they got a Taylor Swift concert, and that kind of kept the race going in many ways. And then the US boom really started 
just around that time, just as we got into the, the Liberty area, the Drive to Survive era. And since then, it's really just skyrocketed. And I think that the, the US has always been a market F1 has wanted to tap into and crack. But Liberty, Liberty have helped make that happen. And that's why, yeah, we have all of this amazing coverage on ESPN. That, like, is, as you said, that's the most, uh, most coverage, sort of most access, most high-profile scheduling as well they've ever done, which is incredible. And then, yeah, we've got three US races this year. We've got Miami, Austin, and Vegas, three very different cities, three different time zones, three very different types of events as well. And I think that's going to just cater to all, all fans, and it will show the significance that the United States has for Formula One. And right now, yeah, F1, I think the US is its main focus. It wants to obviously expand into new markets all the time. And we have this amazing global calendar. That's why I'm in Bahrain at the moment. That's why we're going to be traveling all over the world this year. But really the US, that's, I think that's where it's at right now because it's in such a, it's such an exciting moment and it could be a real, real game changer. Well, I think it has already been a game changer for F1. And yeah, I think the potential is even from here is really, really huge. Manuel, I want to ask you this, and maybe it's an unfair question because it's certainly not something I would ask like an NFL writer or an NBA writer, or pr- pr- by the way, even a global soccer writer. But when you are discussing story ideas and how you want to approach stories with you know, your editors at The Athletic, do you write the piece just as you would write the piece with the assumption that the person reading it is a significant F1 watcher and knows everything about F1? Or do, you, do your pieces have to try to appeal to someone who may have never watched the sport before or might be termed like a casual fan at best? It's definitely threading the needle between those two different readers. Because if you go too far on either side, then you completely alienate a growing audience or an audience that's been there for years and years. Because we're seeing people that are commenting underneath our stories that we've posted within the first few days since our launch of it being people who have been fans for decades and are following the stories that we're writing, or it's people who happen to just stumble across Drive to Survive or saw some kind of TikTok content and decide to check out more at The Athletic. I think this might be bold, but I think it's only the beginning for the U.S., even though that there are three races. There's now an American on the grid. There's an American team in Haas. I still think it's just kind of the beginning and the early stages of what F1 can become in America. I think it's an exciting time to be part of the media landscape and being one of the first American-based companies to be covering this because that is something that you have to kind of keep in the back of your mind. Who's going to be reading this? Would this be something that I myself am interested in? That's kind of how I approach the stories. Would I want to read it? And how can I balance both people who know the knowledge and not at the same time speak down to this new growing fan base and kind of over-explain a concept to, to like layman's terms aspect. Uh, Madeline, it seems like obviously Luke will be at many of the races abroad. Will you be, will you be covering all three U.S. races in person? Absolutely. I can't wait to be back okay. in the paddock and my, be in Miami. I've already been talking to different teams about different projects and things like that. I'm excited to see what it's going to be like this year and, and how they're going to grow from the, the first race last year. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame all these races are in unattractive American cities. My my heart bleeds for you as you're heading to Miami, Las Vegas, et cetera. Yeah, it'll be interesting being able to navigate all the different airports in the cities and everything like that, because it is very <laughs> different than North Carolina. Um, but 
You know, it's an exciting time too. I love flying into the different major airports and being able to see all of the different F1 fans that are coming in. I remember going to Miami and there was like an entire row that had a Red Bull um, fan, a Ferrari fan, and a McLaurin fan all in the same <laughs> row on the airplane. And it was after the race. Right. And it's like, this can go a lot of different ways, but everyone was smiling. Everyone was happy. It's a very infectious environment flying into the different American cities that are doing this. Yeah, no, I mean, I was saying that jealously. Those are all phenomenal cities to yeah. uh, to cover. And obviously, the you know, the greatest job you can have in sports media is when someone else is paying for you to travel. So props to all to both of you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. A couple more here. You know, one of the things that I think became pretty obvious in NASCAR is when Jimmy Johnson was just rolling every year, and Madeline can probably agree with this too, like the the interest in NASCAR dropped a little bit because at a certain point, like, how do I sort of say this? I think dynasties are really good in team sports for interest. I'm not sure I buy it as much when an individual is continuing to win. You do need rivalries, I think, and I think you do need... um others to be competitive. So that's my long-winded way of asking you about Max Verstappen and like the importance this year of like the race being at least competitive late in the year. It is important. Yeah, I think we've seen that in Formula One before. You look at the early 2000s in particular when Michael Schumacher and Ferrari were dominating and winning pretty much every race. And that kind of did have people saying, well, why should I bother tuning in when I know who's going to win the race? Like, what's what's the point of that? And we've seen Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes. They had their dominant spell as well, uh, sort of between 2014 and 2021 when Max won his first title. And now, yeah, the way that Red Bull and Verstappen are moving, it looks like this could be their, their, their dynasty. It could be that they're on a roll of titles now, maybe. Preseason testing we had last week and the Red Bull just looks so much better as a car than any of the others. But I think what's, what's different now in Formula 1 especially is that people have learned to care more than just about who wins. Like You look at Drive to Survive and the way it's hyping up these battles for fourth and fifth place in the championship. And you may think, well, why do I care about who finishes fourth or fifth? But it's the way that you can tell these stories and say, look, if a team finishes fourth in the championship over fifth, and that comes down to two points or something, that team earns an extra $10 million in prize money. That means every single worker in the team gets a $6,000 bonus or something like that, for instance. And it, it actually shows that, that, wow, this has a real significant impact on people's lives. And although, yeah, you might not, it might not be a very sort of, um, I guess, appealing headline in terms of that midfield battle. Actually, it's so, so exciting and so, so close. And it throws up so much exciting racing and moments that people do, yeah, they do care about it. So I think that you look at last year, for example, Max won a record 15 out of 22 races. No driver has ever won 15 races in the season before. He dominated the year. But it was the fact that he was pushed close on a number of those occasions by Ferrari, and it was the fact that you have all of these rich storylines going throughout the field that 
that didn't stop ESPN from posting uh, a record season in terms of viewership. So I think there is much more for people to care about than just the winner. That said, if we do get a season where it goes right the way to the wire, and I think particularly with Las Vegas this year being the penultimate race, I think that would be, again, it's another shot in the arm for Formula One and get people watching all the way to the end of the season. Luke, I have one follow for you, and then I'll, I'll finish with both of you. Um, one final question. I, I obviously know the likelihood or the prospect for any of our writers at The Athletic if they were going to request like 30 minutes with LeBron James or Patrick Mahomes or Mike Trout. Like The, the reality is it's likely not going to happen unless you have a incredible relationship with either the athlete or the athlete's management. What I I have no idea how it would work in in your world and Madeline's world. So I'll, I think my listeners just should be interested. So like, if like, is there any prospect at all? If on some race weekend, you wanted to get 20 minutes one-on-one with Lewis Hamilton or, or Max Verstappen, like, is that even conceivable or is it, that just doesn't sort of work that way unless like there's a, I don't know, a promise of a GQ cover story or, you know, like, I like, I educate me if you can, in terms of like access with the the top people in the sport. It's definitely more limited. Absolutely. Like I had this conversation actually with some of the uh, people working at Red Bull in terms of setting up interviews and something like that. And I said, when is, when is the earliest I can really get a slot with Max this season? And we sit down for, as you say, 20 minutes or so. And they said, yeah, it's probably going to be, it's probably going to be a few races might be around Miami or something like that. Whereas his teammate, Sergio Perez, they said, yeah, you can have him this week, basically, in Bahrain. So that kind of shows the difference in terms of where drivers are at sometimes. But yeah, it it does rely on those good relationships, which luckily, thankfully, Madeline and myself do have in place. So we can have these chats with the teams to try and get this set up. And uh, it's, it's great. Like It's really cool that I think the fact that the projects we are working on here, what we're doing with the athletic, the athletics commitment to Formula One as well, I think that, yeah, we might not be giving them the, the, a GQ cover or something, as you say, but what we are giving them is really, really exciting to them, nevertheless. And I think they are, they're really excited about what we're doing. So, yeah, I think that's going to be, that's going to be the, the, um, the, the aim, the hope, and I'm quite confident we'll be able to deliver on it this season is that we can give you, our readers, the interviews with the biggest names in Formula One, because that's, uh, that's what we want to do. We want to tell their stories. And I don't think there's any better place to be doing that than the athletic right now. One last one for me. I'll start with you, Madeline. The you know, and I, I would consider myself very much a casual watcher of F, of F one. Um, I I did check out a couple of races last year. It's really it is absolutely fun to watch. I actually find the pre race coverage on Sky really interesting when they walk through, uh, like that parade. That's just like really interesting television to me. One thing though, I've heard when I've listened to um whether it's uh, sports talk radio or podcasts. And I think it's like a really interesting question, and it's very much a United States-centric question. And that is, does the sport need an American driver to succeed or at least be prominent for the sport to make the next jump? Again, this is just me doing like, you know, minimal research here. Am, Am I correct that Logan Sargent is like the, at the moment, the most prominent American driver at this level? Is that, am I right about that, Madeline, or am I off? You're right. He is the first American on the grid okay. since 2015, I believe. Okay. So let's just, I'm going to use him as the example for my question. How would you place the importance of someone like Logan Sargent becoming competitive in this series to take interest in the United States to the next level? Oh, that's a good question. Um, 
while also acknowledging that it's his rookie season. And that's a lot of pressure to put the entire weight of the country behind him. But a bit, a bit of a, a bit of like, I guess my question is sort of like the, the evolution of this guy, like how important would it be for this guy to be a top five, seven kind of driver in the next three to five years, let's say. I think that would be the next logical step with an F1 is seeing how an American driver kind of progresses because we've seen Haas in the series since 2016, I believe is when they entered the grid. And since then, like the American interest has grown, I think between how Logan progresses through the sport coupled with how American media in general decides to start covering the sport, whether it's just the U S based races or doing what the athletic is doing and covering every single race and being there and present um, among the rest of the media group. I think it's going to depend on those two things to see where, you know, the growth continues to go. I do think that Logan, this might be bullish to say since he hasn't had his first race. I think the potential is there. And I think it's also the fact that he's wanting to do it in his way. He's showing his personality and how he's speaking with the media. He's not shy about himself and he's growing. And so it's a matter of how the audience grows alongside him. Luke, I'm going to finish up with you. Um, and I think you'll have an interesting perspective because, uh, you know, unlike Madeline and myself, you're a University College London graduate. You're not a, I believe, maybe you are a citizen of the United States. I, I, I am no definitely not a citizen of the United States, I'm afraid. Uh, I'm, uh, okay. yes, uh, the accent probably gave it away, but I've lived in the UK my entire life. Yeah. <laughs> So there you go. All right. So this is good because that's the perspective, you know, after Madeline's that I want. So, you know, it's been incredibly popular, obviously, in Europe. And for you, it's growing up with F1 is just different uh, for Madeline and I, where like, you know, we would see Michael Jordan, LeBron James, something like that on television for you. Obviously, if you're in Europe, like you walk on any major city in Europe, you see F1 gear all over the place. It's just a different world. So I ask you the same thing. Like, what is the importance of an American driver becoming competitive for the sport to take the next step in the United States? I think it is really important. I think, as Madeline said, I think that what what you've what we've seen in F1, we've seen American drivers in the past. I was in my early years of working in F1. The last time we had a US driver on the grid, Alexander Rossi, in 2015, he was racing for a team at the very back of the grid that wasn't competitive. He only did five races and it was like, oh, it's a cool story, but it didn't make like a big splash or anything like that. I think with Logan, we know it's a, a firmer commitment. He's in the car for the, for, for the season. He's hopefully got a really bright future with, with his team, with Williams, and hopefully that team is on a revival so he can be competitive. But uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's an old saying, isn't it? isn't it? That America loves a winner. And I think we want to see a winning American on the grid sooner rather than later because I think that would be a real game changer. We've seen... U.S. fans get behind Haas to some extent because it's an American team. It's running the American flag, but it's not like really based in the U.S. Like it's got a facility in um, in North Carolina, but it's also got its main base in the U.K. as well. And I think that for such a sort of U.K. centric and European centric sport, we've seen this big shift. Obviously, as we've talked about, the U.S. is really growing for F1. But I think having a winning American, that would just change the game completely again. That would be like the next level. So I think for Logan, it's important that, yeah, not to put too much pressure on him. He's in his rookie season. He's with a team that where scoring points will kind of be a, a really good achievement. But hopefully that can develop. He can progress. And one day, yeah, we can see uh, the Star Spangled Banner up there on the top step of the podium. So I think that would be enormous for uh, F1 in the United States. 
Luke Smith is a senior writer covering F1 for The Athletic. Madeline Coleman is a staff writer for The Athletic covering F1. You can check out their work on The Athletic. Um, this is a very, very recent vertical and project that started, but it's really, really exciting um, for that. I guess I should say not for that publication. It would be our publication uh, heading into this space because it really has a, <laughs> has a significant chance for growth. Um, depending on on what happens over the next uh, year or two. Luke and Madeline, I wish you the best of luck. You guys really do have some uh, cool jobs. Um, again, to get to cover a really, really sexy sport. Uh, in Luke's case, to sort of travel the globe. Madeline's case, you're going to get to go to some amazing tracks in the United States. It's going to be really exciting. I think you guys are going to have an awesome year, and uh, and I'll certainly be reading. Thank you so much today for joining me on the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you. All right, back in the studio, my thanks to um, Luke and Madeline for popping on, uh, especially Luke popping on the other side of the world. Uh, but I, did, I wanted to do something on F1 for a while, and those are two uh, new athletic uh, hires. The athletics really made a significant commitment to covering Formula One, and, uh, and I thought their insights were really interesting. So I really appreciate their time coming on. If uh, you like these kind of conversations, head to the archives. There should be stuff that... Um, that you'll have interest in. Just did a roundtable this week as well with Chad Finn and Austin Carp of uh, Boston Globe and Sports Business Journal, respectively. And we went over the All-Star Game viewership numbers, which were not good, uh, Pac-12, and all sorts of other uh, sports media topics. Before that, Marcelo Balboa, Daniel Slayton, Taylor Twelman, the Apple Major League Soccer broadcasters, and we discussed that new initiative. They had a really good first week, I thought, just in terms of everything looked really, really sharp. Content. That's all subjective. It should get better as uh, people sort of feel their way within that. But you know, if you're Apple, I feel like you know, proof of concept, you got to be happy the first week. Uh, I had Fox NASCAR announcers Mike Joy and Larry McReynolds on. If you're into NASCAR, Jim Trotter, Adnan Burke, Adam Amin, um, Chantel Jennings, Sabrina Merchant, WNBA, college basketball writers, head down the list. Something should be there that you like. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work, uh, particularly this week. Uh, we had a couple of audio issues as I mentioned at the top and uh, he worked really hard to fix them. I want to thank everybody at Kings 13 and thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League Podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.